Number 514 has been asked that we mark that, and certainly we're happy to do that because it gives us an opportunity later to continue our service to the God of heaven and song. What a blessed occasion it is on this first day of the week that God has permitted us, allowed us, with blessing to assemble as He has this morning. Certainly, as we may note already, many of our number and of our world are sick and devastated this day. But how thankful we can be for the blessing and the innumerable ones at that that God has showered upon you and me, lavished us with the fullness and gratitude of His love. As you may have noted by what Brother Jeff mentioned a moment ago, as well as what's listed in the bulletin. The title of the lesson today is, as what's on the wall to my left, The Force of the Nails. Brother Derek read just a moment ago from the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to John, John 20, 25. And as we relook at that scene in just a little bit later and more detail in the lesson this morning, perhaps these thoughts will begin us to consider the nature of the force of those nails. It is a fascinating thing to consider the victory that's yours and that is mine in Christ Jesus our Lord. But thanks be unto God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. The famous quotation of 2 Corinthians 2.14. It is with that in mind the victory, the triumph that we enjoy in Jesus. Of course, the nails had a significant part to play in that victory. I would invite you for the next few moments this morning to revisit with me the force of those nails. As you and I know, a nail is used to bind things together. You take two pieces of wood and drive a nail or two in them, and the intent is to bind them, to attach them in a way so that they won't easily come apart. Although there are other things that we may use to do that, such as glue and other woodworking capacities, we know that the nail most basically is allowed, at least in, in the basic appreciation, to attach and bind things together. You'll notice upon this slide, nails are mentioned several times in the sacred text of the Word of God. Perhaps my, my favorite in terms of those would be the latter one in Isaiah 41.7, where God there through Isaiah said that I have used a nail to make a sure thing. We don't intend that things driven together with nails will easily come apart. I wonder what sure things were accomplished by the nails that attached our Savior to the cross. I wonder what certain unshakable, unmovable things were brought to bear and were brought to reality by the occurrence of those nails. I would submit to you, as the bottom of that slide indicates... We do know from what Thomas said there on that occasion that nails were used to attach Jesus' body to the cross. But may I submit to you that they accomplished a lot more than just to physically attach His body to the cross. I wonder what else they accomplished. Let us study that matter this morning, the force of the nails. It might do us well to rehearse the scene at the outset, and so might we do that at the beginning. That scene was a very telling one indeed, wasn't it? The Savior Himself, Jesus, had already gone to the cross. We appreciate that His life had been taken from Him. Isn't it interesting that the gospel accounts, at least in the main, they really state it very to the point and in a very direct fashion. I've listed three verses from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke, and they all merely say that when He came to the place, they crucified Him. They didn't give, the Holy Spirit chose not to, a large number of the details in that one verse at least. 
We have to read the fullness of the accounts and appreciate the thoroughness and greatness. But we do notice in every instance our Savior's life, perhaps as described in John 19.30, He said, It is finished. And He gave up the ghost. Our Savior died that day. But we notice that later in John 19, His body was buried. And we notice in a triumphant fashion in Matthew 28, 6, the angelic visitor said, He is risen, He is not here. The triumph and the victory that's there then lead us to this scene in John chapter 20. Because we notice that the, the apostles were gathered together. And as they were gathered together, Thomas, however, was not there. Jesus appeared to them. He upbraided them, He encouraged them, He spoke with them, He taught them, but He appeared to them. Thomas wasn't among them. We notice that as the Lord encouraged them, the others in verses 24 and 25 readily shared with Thomas, We have seen the Lord. And that's the very statement that Derek read earlier. We have seen the Lord. As that verse went on, Thomas was the one whose answer we have next recorded. Thomas, in fact, said, Unless I see the print of the nails, unless I put my fingers into his side, I will not believe. You'll notice Thomas mentioned twice the nails that had been used to bind, to attach our Savior to the cross. Two times he made mention of those nails. As you can well appreciate near the bottom of that slide, in a very telling thing, two verses later, the Lord appeared again. Eight days later to that same assembled group of apostles, and this time Thomas was present. Jesus addressed Thomas and said, Put your fingers into the nail prints. Thomas, put your hand, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. In the very next verse in John 20, 28, Thomas utterly exclaimed, My Lord and my God. He formerly had refused to believe on the testimony of his fellow apostles, but now, but now, he had not only witnessed the Lord, he had had the opportunity to do the very thing that he himself requested, to put his fingers into the nail prints, to put his hand into the master's side. You'll notice that those nails accomplished a lot of things. Think with me about the power of them. They had held Jesus to the cross. They had accomplished in that point, but might I submit to you, they had done far, far more than that. What are the forces involved in those nails. We know today in terms of thinking about scientific or engineering things, force is a term that we use a, a great deal. Students learn how to discuss force, how to calculate it, how to even consider the interaction among it. Our question today is, what about some of the other things the forces of the, of the nails accomplished? And I submit to you that we often use nails to nail things down, sometimes to nail things up. One of the first things we might appreciate about the force of these nails is those nails nailed down God's faithfulness. Consider with me the next few moments about a journey through at least a highlighted feature of the Old and New Testament and think about the faithfulness highlighted in those nails. Isn't it true that from the earliest ages of the Old Testament, the God of heaven had in fact directly asserted the problem of human sin, I will allow to be fixed. In Genesis 3.15, we learn 
right after Adam and Eve had chosen to sin in the way that they did. That that marvelous prophecy was set forth in that God in fact told the serpent that the seed of the woman shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And from that point forward we, we can't help but look forward to the coming and the reality of the one that came. In Genesis twenty two eighteen, it was to Abraham that we read, In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. In our study on Wednesday evening in Galatians, we have been noting with some care the great fulfillment of those verses that Paul set forth in Galatians chapter 3. We notice that as the children of Israel were those in the Old Testament era who had received the greatness of God's Old Testament command concerning the law of Moses. But we notice on so many occasions that this people, the very children of Israel, were the ones through whom the Christ child would come and the ones through whom the blessing on the human family would ultimately come forth. And yet on so many occasions, they displayed faithlessness. On so many occasions, they displayed sinful character. And on so many occasions, they displayed a quick willingness to depart from God. I've listed just a few of those examples. They found themselves in Egyptian bondage, hard, rigorous bondage according to Exodus chapter 1. They found themselves, in fact, even after they came out of Egyptian bondage, they could have had an easy journey to the promised land, a few months at most. And yet for 38 extended, lengthy, long years, making a total of 40, they had to wonder why? Because they didn't have faith in God. They chose to deny Him. We even learn later, once they had arrived at the promised land, that time and again they turned their attention to idolatry, and ultimately that would emanate into a captivity in Babylon. Here was a people who ought to have been the precious chosen ones and ought to have lived in all the glorious measures of God's grace toward them, and yet they found themselves in captivity to a foreign nation. In the days of Esther, they were almost annihilated. In fact, Haman had a plot whereby every one of them would be destroyed. We do notice all the while, though, that God blessed this group. A faithful remnant remained... And we notice that God's faithfulness was highlighted when in the New Testament era, the Messiah through them was born. But it wasn't just that He was born. It was to the cross that He went. God's faithfulness was highlighted so powerfully. Notice that all the while those prophecies were in the measure of being delivered. It was perhaps easy to think about that time when Jesus was going to die was yet far into the future. But yet, once He came, and once the dark hours of the cross were so near, and once He prayed in Gethsemane, If it be Thy will, let this cup pass from me. But yet it still was His prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. Matthew 26, 39. We notice that God's faithfulness never wavered. He loved you and He loved me enough that He wanted a plan of salvation put in place, and it was His will that it be so. Those nails forevermore highlight the reality of God's faithfulness to the promises He had made and to the hope of redemption. It is a reality these days. As you'll see near the bottom of that slide, God's faithfulness is highlighted all throughout the sacred text. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, 
but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 9 of 2 Peter 3. Those nails nailed down God's faithfulness, an unwavering charge and challenge to one and all that the plan of salvation is now reality. And that faithfulness is something on which you and I can utterly and completely rely. But those nails did more than just even that. They also, in fact, highlighted the closure of something. Isn't it true that sometimes we can use a nail to nail a door closed so that it cannot be easily, if at all, opened? Or sometimes to nail down something that we no longer wish its lid to be able to be opened. May I submit to you that those nails also closed something. We mentioned a moment ago about that law of Moses. How that on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter number 20 and even detail through that book and the books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy as well. We find the complete regard that God had given to this set of laws to the children of Abraham through Jacob. They were expected to learn them, to maintain them, to teach them, to keep them, to obey them. They were expected to understand that the God of heaven was holy and that these were His will. But as you'll so quickly notice, they were not given to be permanent in the sense of lasting forevermore. That law of Moses did occupy a faithful and right part in that day and time. But doesn't it lead us almost immediately to Galatians chapter 3? I would invite you to notice some of the things that might be said. That law, by its very character and by the very nature that it occupied, had some features that were shortcomings, if we might call it that. Imperfections, incompletions, if you please. You'll notice that Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 4 simply say, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those, thing, of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year make the comers thereunto perfect. They couldn't make the comers thereunto perfect. Why? Three verses later, Hebrews 10 verse 4, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. You'll think and appreciate that just as surely then as that law was the law of God in that era and day. But ponder this. Paul could nonetheless say in Galatians 3 verses 24 and 25, The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law was our schoolmaster. It occupied the role of teaching and leading, and it was only pointing the way toward the fullness and the absolute completion of all those prophecies and all those shadows that had been set forth. You'll notice verse 25 of Galatians 3 says, But when the faith is come, then we are no longer under the tutor. We're no longer under the schoolmaster. And may I submit to you that the faith has gloriously and powerfully come, and so we are no longer under the schoolmaster. Might we notice that Paul said it like this in Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. When, Paul, was that old law removed? When was it taken out of the way? He said it was nailed to the cross. That old law, you see, is one in which those nails that attached our Savior to the cross were the very ones that closed, completed, and removed 
the nature of the binding force of that Old Testament era. Isn't it fascinating to think about what those nails accomplished? The force of the nails. They did much more than just hold Jesus to the cross. As we've already learned, they nailed down God's faithfulness. And furthermore, they closed the Old Testament Judaistic system. When we think about the nature of the force of those nails, it might be though that we can appreciate even more than that. Because after all, the very text that Derek read earlier and the way in which this appears in the New Testament unquestionably leads us to these conclusions. These nails also nailed together Christ Jesus and His church. We noted earlier that nails frequently are thus employed to bind, to attach, to connect things in an unshakable, unmovable way. And wasn't it so with regard to Jesus and His church? We do live in times in which the church frequently takes a black eye. The church frequently takes a discussion whereby many claim that it's unimportant, it's trivial, it's non-essential. But a reading of the New Testament will not permit that. In fact, visit that very thought with me in the following way. The cross involved the very blood that Jesus shed. Imagine when those Roman soldiers drove those nails into the hands of our Master and into His feet as well, and of course, therefore, came out blood and water. Do we not have that record both in the book of John and the book of 1 John? And when we appreciate the nature of that blood, doesn't it take us back to Ephesians 1 verse 7 as well as Colossians 1 verse 14? Those, in fact, read virtually identically and they simply say, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. And we have reminded to us so completely the thought that when those nails were driven into the body of our Savior, in fact, the blood was shed. But yet in that blood there is redemption. There is remission. There is sanctification. And there is the thought of holiness to be appreciated. Look at some of these verses that pull these thoughts together. We notice that that blood was shed, but yet today that blood is appreciated in the reality of the church. In Acts 20, verse number 28, as Paul addressed the elders of the church in Ephesus, it was to them that he said, Take heed unto yourselves and to the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. That blood purchased an, an, an unshakable, unmovable body, His body, the church of our Lord. To think that it's unimportant then, or to think that in fact she is less than essential, is blasphemous to the very nature of what the New Testament reveals. Christ Jesus' blood purchased that church. For those reasons, look at just a few of these comments. Wasn't it true the Lord loved that church? Husbands to this day are evermore reminded in Ephesians 5.25 to love your wives. But notice he says, as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Our Master gave Himself for that church. Look at the force of the nails. Those nails, you see, not merely attached His body to the cross, but they ultimately aided in the founding by reality of this church that all of us today can be blessed to be part of. For are we not the church, you and me? 
some of these verses at the bottom highlight the very message of those nails. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. You and I lift high the message and the truth of that statement. He is the head of the body, and we serve Him because we love Him. Did He not say, if you love me, keep my commandments? John 14, 15. Did He not say in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you? The love that we see exemplified, the nature of the force in those nails, maybe is highlighted in that last set of verses. Those nails also point out this truth, there is but one way. Jesus said Himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Those nails thus prove an exclusive way to heaven. There is no other. No wonder Peter said in Acts 4, 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How desperately the world needs the exclusive message of these nails. How desperately that message needs to be shouted from the rooftops in a proverbial fashion as your life and mine echoes the fullness of what those nails accomplished. They did much, much more than merely hold His body to that wooden cross. When you think about the nature of those nails, maybe it's also true that they highlight this other truth as well. Not only do they bind together Christ and His church, they bind forevermore the nature of the blood and baptism. We've already seen this morning the nature of that church and the fullness and the power and the glory that she in fact has. But we do know that in 1 Peter 1 verses 18 and 19, redemption, the blessed message of redemption... It is not by way of silver and gold and other corruptible things, but Peter was quick to say, but with the precious blood of Christ. That blood, the same thing that spewed forth as a result of those nails, that blood also, in fact, is the singular message of redemption. To be redeemed, to be bought back, purchased from a devil's hell, if you will, purchased from a life that is apart from God, bought back to the sanctified, holy, and cleansed way of sainthood. The message of baptism is a singular part of all of that truth, isn't it? I would invite you to look with me at the nature of these statements. In Revelation 1 verse 5, we are washed from our sins in His blood. In Matthew 26 verse 28, on the very occasion when He established the Lord's Supper, the Lord said this is my blood in the New Testament, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins. Why, Lord, was your blood shed? For the remission of sins is what He said. And that's all that needs to be said. If your sins and mine are ever to be forgiven, it's only by virtue of the blood, it's only by virtue of a remembrance of the nails that that meaning is going to be seen and fully appreciated. When He went to the cross some 20 centuries ago now, think about the nature of what was accomplished. The church, the closing of the old law, the character of God's faithfulness, and now the reality of binding together baptism with His blood. 
As we cast a spotlight upon some of those thoughts, look at several New Testament passages which highlight the nature of what's accomplished in that beautiful and timeless act of baptism. In Acts twenty two sixteen, Paul was told, And now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? Here was an earnest and honest individual. He was one that had in his possession not very long previous papers that allowed him to put in prison and to make life hard for those that were Christians of that way. And yet on that road to Damascus, the Master spoke to him, carried on a conversation with him. And in verse 6 of Acts 9, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said, Go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Not what you might do, think about doing, should do what you must do. And lo and behold, the Master spoke with Ananias and gave him words and encouragement. And so it was that he came to Paul and conversed with him. And you notice that it was he who said, What tarriest thou, or why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Paul, you believe and you've now repented. It's time that you be baptized. And so it was. That man was baptized and in verses that followed began to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3.8. We notice that on that occasion it was baptism in which redemption was to be seen, but we've learned redemption comes in the blood. Putting the two together, it's in baptism that we see the blood is contacted. In 1 Peter 3.21, the inspired writer told us, "...the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us." Not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a happy, happy occasion when an individual is baptized into Christ. Nothing else can match it. Nothing else has the same aura. Nothing else has the full assurance of the promise of Scripture as that act does. Wasn't it Jesus who said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? Mark 16, 16. As you and I appreciate the binding together of those points, isn't it fair to say that those nails have bound together many, many wonderful and precious truths? But then also it's fair to say the last section on that same slide. The nails also highlighted this. Did they not nail down forevermore the remarkable love of God? Perhaps the most famous verse in all the book of God would be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. But wasn't it true that love was displayed manifested for all to see in the reality of the cross. God's love allowed Him to allow His Son, Christ, of course, to be nailed to that cross. Think about what you would appreciate. Suppose you were in a position to watch your son or your daughter so agonizingly and heinously nailed to a wooden cross. How would you react to watch some burly Roman soldier pound time after time the nails into the body of your precious son or daughter? Would you take it well? Would you be able to stand by almost in nonchalance and watch it with eagerness? Or would you almost recoil in agonizing disbelief at the pain you know your son or daughter is experiencing, but yet you realize 
that as you are watching this happen, it's really for the benefit not only of those that are driving the nails, but yea, for the benefit of every single sinner who has ever lived. Would that not require love? Would it not require a deep-seated consideration of how beneficial it was going to be to all those others? And yet that's the kind of portrait we have in the New Testament. No wonder His love is highlighted and exemplified in Romans 5 verse 8. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Those nails were driven, you see, into His hands, into His feet when I didn't deserve them and neither did you. We were sinners. We had chosen to disobey. We had failed in our considerations of faithfulness. We had been the ones that had messed up. And yet He allowed the nails to be driven for us. Those nails nailed down God's love forevermore. And that takes us back to that exclusive way to Him. There is no other way. He is the one and only pathway to faithfulness. The force of those nails. We today have appreciated that. The summary might be stated like this. Those nails, not only is a reminiscent scene in John chapter 20, not only was it something that Thomas required unless I put my hands in his side and my fingers in the nail prints, I will not believe. But not two verses later, it was he who said, My Lord and my God. Thomas did believe, and in the verses that followed, the Lord said, Blessed art thou, Thomas, for thou hast seen. But he quickly said, Blessed are those who will not see but yet believe. You and I cannot literally see those nail prints anymore. But through the eye of faith, we can have every, every assurance of all the force that was in them. They nail down God's love. They nail down God's faithfulness. They closed shut the door of Judaism. And they forevermore bound together the church and, and Christ. And of course, the nature of the blood and baptism. It might be this morning that in within this audience, maybe we've each been reminded about the force of those nails. But maybe there's someone, one or more, who at this point has not responded in properness to the force of those nails. At this point, given that that's the only way to everlasting glory, have you rejected baptism? Have you rejected the church? Have you rejected the love of God? Have you rejected in some way the offerings made by the Blessed Father? If you have, don't continue in that mistake. For at the time of your death or upon the time of the Lord's return, that mistake becomes unfixable. There will never be another opportunity. If the heartstrings in your being are being tugged today by the invitation of the gospel, don't delay. This very day, the 16th day of December 2012, can be a notable, powerful forevermore eternally life-changing day for you. The gospel call of invitation is extended to one and all. If you've never become a member of the body of Christ, appreciative of the force in those nails, why not today? Jesus Himself said, Except ye believe that I am He, ye shall die in your sins, John 8, 24. It was the same Master who in fact asserted in Luke 13, 5, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Was it not He in Matthew 10, 32 and 33 who said, If you do not confess Me, or rather if you deny Me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. We must thus believe and repent and confess, 
But it was the same master who said, Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Have you attended to those needs? If you have, but you have not been faithful to that calling, you have allowed the force of the nails to be a distant memory in your life. Why not, in fact, put on the forefront of your thinking the force of those nails and all that they accomplish? If we could be of assistance by prayer of rededication, by prayer of strength for your life, we'd be honored to do that. The blood of Christ continually invites, 1 John 1 verse 7. Just as surely as that invitation is extended, this is a convenient time. And if we could be of help to anybody in the audience, we'd be honored to do that at once while together we stand and while we sing.